Next, we move on to part two, the metamorphic leap of Wall Street. When Wall Street was born, New York was not yet the financial heart of the world or even the largest financial center in the United States. At that time, that honor went to Philadelphia. Soon after its founding in 1680, Philadelphia had a larger population and a port that was immensely more prosperous than New York's. However, New York supported by Hamilton's economic policies was given the economic fuel, it seeded to grow faster than Philadelphia. It would take a long time before New York overtook Philadelphia. Philadelphia had been the temporary capital of the United States for 10 years and was the home for many important institutions. The first bank ever founded in the USA, the Bank of North America was located there as well as the confusingly named First Bank of the United States, the first central bank for the USA. For these reasons, Philadelphia would remain ahead of New York, both economically and politically, for some time. Though powerful, Philadelphia's position was becoming more uncertain as the USA's economy continued to grow. The central issue was one of the biggest questions that America's new government had to face, how to transport Western produce back to the East. At the time, even Washington said that the loyalty of the Midwesterners to the federal government hung by a thread. To sell their produce to the eastern states, they had to pass through British and Spanish colonies, and their interests were thus intrinsically linked to the trade policies of those two countries. To solve this issue, a man named DeWitt Clinton argued for the construction of the Erie Canal. This canal would allow goods to flow through the Great Lakes, all the way from modern-day Michigan and Wisconsin to New York without touching the European colonies. This also greatly reduced the cost of transporting agricultural products and allowed the federal government to consolidate national power by making the western territories dependent on eastern trade networks. By being at the end point of the massive east-west trade network, New York was primed for expansion. The canal brought about an explosion in both population and economic power. Midwesterners could finally order luxury items from the East and the proportion of foreign goods that entered the United States through New York grew from 9% to 62%. The American Civil War further consolidated New York's position as a financial hub. Fighting wars costs huge amounts of money, and it is estimated that the total financial cost of the Civil War totaled nearly $3.5 billion. So where did this money come from? The two sides had drastically different strategies. The southern government chose to print money, while the northern government chose to offer treasury bonds to the public on Wall Street. A banker named Jay Cook was chosen as the agent to issue the northern government's bonds. He persuaded the Treasury Department to decrease the bonds' face value of the bonds to $50, thus lowering the threshold to entry to purchase the bonds. At the same time, he widely advertised them in newspapers and leaflets, associating their purchase with patriotism. By the end of the war, Cook was selling bonds faster than the government's War Department could spend them, and in 1865, with an annual trading volume of $6 billion, Wall Street was close to becoming the largest capital market in the world, second only to London. With large-scale economic growth came increasing amounts of corruption. Judges could be bought, markets could be manipulated, and even the reputation of the country itself was leveraged to create manias and panics. A famous example was when people began spreading rumors that the U.S. government was part of a gold hoarding conspiracy in order to affect the price of gold trading. As the scale of the market began to grow almost exponentially, so too did the effects of the panics, manias, and recessions. Wall Street was greeted with one crisis after another, and they began to realize the need for regulation. 
Change would come with John Pierpont Morgan, a banking and financial visionary whose life we detailed in our bookie of the House of Morgan. J.P. Morgan was an international household name in finance and a leader on Wall Street in the 19th and 20th centuries. In the 1907 bankers' panic, the price of the many stocks including copper went down the drain, causing a panic amongst the public and they began to withdraw all of their bank deposits simultaneously. This is called a run on the banks and means that banks have no more capital left to make loans or keep their operation afloat. This can cause banks to demand the return of loan money or even declare bankruptcy. The crisis was growing, banks were closing left and right, the treasury was running dry, and the government was at its wit's end. They had to turn to the one man who had managed to navigate the crisis, the biggest influence on Wall Street and one of the richest men in America, J.P. Morgan. Thus, J.P. Morgan formed a contract with the national government, and his bank began to perform the duties of the Central Bank of the United States. Working with government agencies such as the U.S. Treasury and a number of privately owned banks, J.P. Morgan was able to provide the market with a bailout of $84 million. People no longer wanted to withdraw their money since the banks now had more than enough cash to stay afloat and keep their accounts open. After this incident, J.P. Morgan had an incredible amount of influence on the federal government. He literally owned the national debt of the USA and this terrified politicians as it directly threatened their ability to govern. Any law that J.P. Morgan disagreed with could be met with the threat of defunding the government of the United States. They realized that though it had worked this time, the government could not rely on private institutions to solve economic crises. They found that the only way to ensure the proper functioning of the economy was to set up a more powerful central bank capable of reacting quickly and effectively in times of panic, mania, and recession. So in 1913, the Federal Reserve, the central bank of the United States, was finally established. By this point in our story, the U.S. financial markets were becoming standardized. In our bookie of the Federal Reserve and the financial crisis, we explain in detail the background to the birth of the Federal Reserve and the key role it plays in international finance. If you're interested in understanding one of the foundational institutions of both American and international financial policy, feel free to unlock that book with our bookie. Just as the Civil War had empowered Wall Street so too did World War I. Just one year into the war, the British had spent all their gold reserves and the increasing cost of arms was becoming a major problem for the Allies. To solve this, the British government tried to negotiate a loan for no less than 500 million US dollars from J.P. Morgan Bank. But even the company that had bailed out the US government couldn't source such a gargantuan amount of cash. So J.P. Morgan organized a consortium, and eventually 61 underwriters came together to pool their finances and complete the loan. From then on, Wall Street bankers led by J.P. Morgan began to help the Allies to finance the war effort. By 1917 after the war, the United States had gone from being the world's largest debtor to a creditor, Wall Street had become the world's brightest new financial star, and the world's economic landscape had changed forever. After World War I, the U.S. stock market began an eight-year bull market. At the time, though the New York Stock Exchange on Wall Street had become the largest stock market in the world, it did not operate much differently from when it was first established. As a membership body, it was always concerned with protecting the interests of its members rather than those of public investors. Take for example, the speculation in auto industry stocks in the 1920s, when a figure called Alan A. Orion was hoping to make a killing with Stutz Motor Car Company of America stocks. 
However, he had a core group of NYSE members among his opponents who unilaterally voided the deal in order to stop Ryan's hoarding. Although Ryan used public pressure to complete his plan and did wind up making a huge fortune, the NYSE members retaliated against him in a later bear raid to the point of his ruination. This chaotic market couldn't sustain itself and finally crashed on the October 24, 1929, and by midday that day, $9.5 billion had evaporated from the stock market's capitalization. There were small rallies in the following weeks, but the stock market eventually fell again and again until November 13. After the crash, the United States fell into a four-year recession, known as the Great Depression, the worst economic crises in the country's history to date. The stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression were a bitter lesson, but they gave the American economy and Wall Street a chance to reinvent itself. After taking office, President Roosevelt began a series of economic reforms known as the New Deal. These policies set out to reform U.S. economic policy as a whole and stabilize the precarious nature of Wall Street so that the USA would never again experience the horrors of the Great Depression. The most significant changes for Wall Street came in the form of the many financial bills Roosevelt introduced, including the Emergency Banking Relief Act, the Federal Securities Act, the Glass-Steagall Act, the Investment Advisors Act, and the Investment Company Act. Roosevelt also pushed for the creation of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Thereafter, for the first time in more than 100 years of self-evolution, the U.S. capital markets had laws governing the issuance of securities and investment transactions, and the basic structure for the regulation of the modern financial system was formed. The Glass-Steagall Act is a foundational piece of legislation that irrevocably changed the way America conducts banking. Also known as the Banking Act of 1933, it established the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation that insured bank deposits of up to 50,000 US dollars. This was created as a protection against bank runs as it meant that people no longer had to withdraw their savings to protect them, as long as they totaled less than 50,000 US dollars. Shortly afterwards, the World War II broke out and created even greater demand for goods and money. Wall Street repeated the economic strategies used during World War I, leading the United States back to prosperity. We have now completed our journey through the second stage of Wall Street's history. In the early days of Wall Street, the Philadelphia had more influence on the US economy. But the building of the Erie Canal and the Civil War helped make New York the financial hub of America. J.P. Morgan's intervention finally caused the U.S. government to realize the need for a strong national financial system and thus the Federal Reserve was created. However this did not solve the issue of economic stability. World War I once again saw Wall Street vie for world financial supremacy but the Great Depression caused the government to finally recognize the importance of regulation. With the enactment of a series of acts by the Roosevelt administration, the U.S. capital markets gradually achieved stability. World War II refueled the U.S. economy and put Wall Street on the path towards global financial supremacy.